You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. So in Acts 4, well, let me just back up. So we have the disciples and the Christ followers, and they went through, they had three and a half years with Jesus, and they saw amazing things. And then and, and, and the following began to build and build and build and grow and grow. And, and then it all, we know that it all culminated into Jesus being betrayed and being falsely accused and being crucified. And so the disciples were like, what? This is not what we thought. We thought he was the promised Messiah, the one who would save us not only from Rome, but from our sin, the one that is going to redeem his people and help his people. And here he is dead. But he didn't stay that way, did he? (laughs) He died on, on Friday and on Sunday, he rose from the grave. And the angel said to Mary, why, and the disciples, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And then he appears to them. He appears to the disciples. And their hopes are renewed. And they once again are, they remember all that he said. Because he said this was going to happen. He said that the, the temple would be knocked down, but in three days it would be built up again. He promised that he would come back to life. But if you're like me, sometimes things don't sink in right away. It takes a little time. And for the disciples, it took a little time. But the proof was right in front of them. So they had Jesus, and he was with them and telling them and fulfilling the scriptures and even telling some of them from from the book of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament where he was in each of those books and how he fulfills Every scripture. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a part of that conversation with those men whenever Jesus took them through the Old Testament and says, and this is talking about me, and this is talking about me, and this is talking about me. Man, so amazing. We can, we can do that now with our scripture and go back and see, but that would just be such a beautiful thing. So he stays with them for 40 days on the earth, and then there comes a time for him to ascend into heaven, Right? for him to be a part of mission control, as, as Matt's been saying, where he goes with God in heaven, and he's not like, okay, my job's done. We'll sit in the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to kick back until the millennial. No, he is still working in the part of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is completing the job on earth, and, and all of this is going on. And so, but yet at this point, backing up a little bit, so he's, he ascends into heaven, but he says, do not move. Don't leave Jerusalem until, the, until God's promised gift has come upon you. Don't go anywhere. And so the disciples, <coughs> excuse me, the disciples are in Jerusalem, and they are all huddled together, and they are actively waiting on the Holy Spirit. They are praying. They are choosing another disciple to replace Judas. They are, um, they are praying and encouraging each other. And then the promise comes. On the day of Pentecost, 
an amazing thing happens, and the room begins to swirl, the wind begins to swirl, and all of a sudden, fire from heaven comes down, and Scripture says that these tongues of fire land on the disciples, and they begin to speak in languages that they do not know. So the Holy Spirit has come, and the Holy Spirit manifests himself for the first time in this way. And they begin to tell everyone in Jerusalem, in that person's own language, what Jesus has done. That he died for their sin, and that he rose from the grave, and that he is alive now, and that he offers them life in him. And so what used to be frightened, scared, hopeless men and women are now empowered by the Holy Spirit doing the job that God had for them. So they, they do this miraculous thing, right? We remember a few weeks ago we talked about the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so all of this happens, and, and some people say, could they be drunk? What is going on? And Peter stands up, and he says, no, they are not drunk. And then he goes on, and he gives this amazing sermon about, and he, like, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he just goes on about what God has done fearlessly and boldly. And then he calls them to repentance, and 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Woo! 3,000, can you imagine? In Jerusalem, 3,000 people were added. Talk about power. Talk about Peter and the change that happened in him, right? So 3,000 people were added, and then it goes on, Acts continues, to tells us how the, how the church is growing, and they're supporting each other, and they're giving of their money to each other, and they're singing psalms and, and spiritual songs and hymns, and they're encouraging and praying for one another. And then, like last week, we heard the story of Peter and John going into the gate beautiful, and they come upon this man, and he's begging them for money, because that's all he's ever done you can just give me some money, I'll be okay. I can get through the next day. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I will give you. And he heals him. And this man who has been lame, could not walk since birth, was able to walk now. And the people are astonished. Of course, of course they are. They're amazed. They're astonished. And then Peter does what? He gives another sermon. He takes the opportunity to say, this is not of us. If you look back at, in chapter 3, he is very clear and very quick to say, Peter and John, it's like, we are just men. We did not do this. It was God. And let me interject this. If anything amazing happens in your life and in my life, let's be quick to point the glory to God. They said, it wasn't us, but let me tell you who it was. Let me tell you about this. And so they go on, and they're preaching again, and of course they're drawing a crowd because of what happened and the beautiful thing, the beautiful miracle that has happened, and, and the church is already growing. Remember, it's already at 3,000 people, and he continues to tell them and to teach them. And I would, if you haven't already, I would go back and read uh, every week, keep up with the sermon, and go back and read through Acts so that, so that you can grow even more throughout the week. But it says in verse 4, I mean in chapter 4, we see something that's never happened to the church. 
for the first time, the church is persecuted. Now, there were persecution of the prophets, and we read about that in the Old Testament. And, of course, Jesus was persecuted. (laughs) Of course, Jesus was killed. But we see the church, this new church that was brought on through the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. For the first time, the church is persecuted. And this will continue to happen until Jesus comes again. An interesting fact. So in chapter 4, we see the, the first mention of persecution. And it will be talked about in every single chapter in Acts for the rest of Acts except for three chapters. So it's a pretty important theme and thing that happened to the new church. So we're going to read this. This is where we pick up. Remember, they had just healed the man. Peter had just taught and, and was preaching to them about what happened. And so that's where we pick up in Acts 4. So I'm just going to read all of this, and then we'll pick it apart. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they, that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. From three to 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before him, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he, had was, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's their response. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to listen to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After releasing them further, 
after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Let me just make a, a side note here on verse 22. Maybe when I was younger, like in my teens or something, I would have been, oh, 40 years old. He's been sick a long time. <laughs> but now that I am over 40, I'm like, whew, really? Was that, did that need to be added? He was so young. That wasn't that long. <laughs> anyway, just a side note there. Um, so going back, we see here, wow, this is so, so powerful and so purposeful and so much to unpack in this sermon, y'all, I had a really hard time with the bottom line here because there are so many things that we could bring out in just these 22 verses. But, um, but Peter and John were arrested and taken into custody until the next day. So like I said, this, at the beginning of chapter 4, we see the start of persecution. They were arrested and seized. Why? My, my version in, chapter, in verse 2 says because they were annoyed. They were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they got arrested. So they were arrested and they were kept overnight because the Sanhedrin, they did not meet at night. So they had to wait until the next day to figure this out. I bet Peter and John were not surprised. And we'll find out why they weren't surprised later. We'll go through some scripture about what Jesus said about persecution. But I bet they, they had a feeling that this was coming. So everybody who was anybody in relation to the ruling religious were there. So look at this, look at this list in verse 6. Um, sorry, going up to 5. Their rulers, elders, scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. Do you recognize any of those names from when Jesus was on trial? Annas and Caiaphas high priest and his son-in-law. They were the same ones who tried Jesus and who took him to Pilate and who said and did everything they could, every form of manipulation that they could, every threat that they could to Pilate to, to convince him to let, them, let him be crucified. These, don't you know Peter and John knew that? And they were standing in front of the same men who accused and killed Jesus. Talk about temptation to be fearful. <laughs> they said, by what power or in what name have you done this? In other words, who gave you the permission to do this? Who gave you the power to heal this man? Because obviously it was something amazing, and a normal person could not heal a man who had been um, lame for only 40 years. So they, by what power or what name have you done this? What had Peter said just months before when he was asked three different times? You know Jesus? Aren't you one of them? I noticed that accent. I noticed that Galilean accent. Aren't you one of them? I've seen you with him. No, that's not me. I don't know him. Are you kidding me? No, I don't know him. Three times. 
Peter is a changed man because of the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That is not his answer today. By what power have you done this? Ooh, Peter gave him an answer, all right. (laughs) He gave him an answer. He said, let it be known. In verse 10, if you want to follow along. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Talk about some chutzpah, right? And who God raised from the dead by him. By the same man that you crucified and that you thought you had done away with. And that you thought you had squashed so that he would never be seen or heard from again. You know who did this? Do you know by what authority, by whose authority I healed this man? Him. The same one. The very same one. Jesus. By by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. And as predicted in Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The one that was rejected, the one that was killed, crucified, he has become the one, the stone upon which everything else will be built. That's who gave me this authority. That's who gave me the power to do this. And then he had a beautiful message for them. Because God's message of salvation isn't just for the good people. It isn't just for the ones who have never done anything wrong in their life. It isn't just for the nice ones. It's for all of us. Because as Romans 3.23 tells us, for we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. And Isaiah tells us that all of, our filth, all of our righteousness, what we think is righteousness, is as filthy rags. We all need Jesus no matter what. No matter who we think we are, no matter our background, we all need him. And he says in verse 12, and he tells them, he gives them this information. He says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which, by which we must be saved. He was inviting them into salvation in that point. God doesn't give up on us like he didn't give up on Peter. Sometimes our failures and our flaws and the the times that we have fallen so flat on our face that our nose is broken, that we are hurting because we have messed up so bad, those times... God redeems and turns into something beautiful. I know I can say that. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for me because that's what he's done for me. Sometimes our failures can become part of our training. Sometimes the times that we really mess up can become a part of, God uses that to become a part of who we are. And Peter was no longer defined by the cock crowing because he denied Jesus three times. He is defined that he is a child of God who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit and is bold and is able to accomplish all that God has given him to through the Holy Spirit. So our bottom line today, through the Holy Spirit, we can do whatever God asks of us, no matter how hard or how humbling. 
through the Holy Spirit, we can do whatever God asks of us, no matter how hard or how humbling. So I want to do, I do want to, before we move on, to say that salvation is today. If you have not accepted the gift that is yours from God, this gift of salvation is yours for the taking. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to me except through the Father. And as Peter said, there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You do not have to work for it. You do not have to be good to get this gift. You do not have to be good for a certain number of days or months to get this gift. It is yours. It has nothing to do with what you've done, but what he has already done for you. The doing is done. You just take the gift. And then from that gift, on the other side of salvation, we begin to do the good works. We begin to live in holiness. And we begin to live as God wants us to because we want to become more like him. But that doesn't precede salvation. Salvation is free. We do not work toward victory. We work from victory. And I just want to assure all of us believers talking about encouraging each other, you already have the victory. As a believer, it's already yours. You're not working toward it and trying to do good enough to get toward the victory. It's yours right now. So let's all step into it and walk in it through the Holy Spirit. Let's walk in that victory like we already have it because we do. If you're here today and you think that spending eternity with God, that you're spending eternity with God because your good outweighs your bad, then you're, you're mistaken. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is a gift, and it means we don't have to earn it. It's given to us, we just need to accept it. So you can do that today, right now. Just talk to the Father about that and tell him that you, you receive his gift. All right, so let's move on to Acts 4. And let's look at 13 and 14. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man... <clears throat> who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So even the rulers, the Sanhedrin, even Caiaphas and Annas and, and the ruling family, the ruling priestly family, they saw the boldness and they were astonished at these men whom they knew for sure had not been formally trained. And they said they were amazed because they were uneducated and untrained men. but were they untrained? How long had they been with Jesus? <laughs> Some of them three and a half years. Some of them not that long. 
that's better than any <clears throat> seminary degree anyone could ever achieve. Because they had been with Jesus. That's where our training comes from. That's where our, our um, pouring into, and that's where life change happens, is in the presence of Jesus. Talk about an education, huh? So we're also trained and educated in God's ways when we spend time with Jesus and when we spend time in his word. And I'm not saying that just like someone is not disqualified from ministry or from doing God's um, work in the workplace or in the world, just because you haven't been to seminary or you're untrained does not mean you're disqualified. I'm also saying that just because you have been trained doesn't mean you're disqualified. We see examples of trained people throughout Scripture. Paul is a fantastic example of someone who was very trained. And God used his gifts and his ability that he knew Scripture and that he had been educated. God used that. And I'm, I'm not knocking training. I've actually graduated from seminary. I have that training myself. But I also know that when I am not in the presence of God and that when I am not being trained in Jesus' presence every day and in his word every day, that book training really doesn't mean anything. We all need to step in to where God has us. And for some of us, that may mean formal training for ministry. And for some of us, it may not. But for all of us, it means time with God every day. So let me ask us, and I'm pointing this question at myself. In a practical way, how are you growing? How are you being trained by the Father? Where's your growth right now? Is it where you want it to be? What are some things that you can do, even if they're small changes, to make that happen? Y'all, I love the Bible app. I love it because you can choose Scripture, and it can, you can press the audio, like the play button, and it'll just read Scripture to you. So if you say, well, my schedule is really crazy right now. I don't have time to sit down and read the Word. Well, you can play it on the way to work. Or you can play it as you're washing dishes. You can play it as you're getting kids ready for school. You, you can find ways to still be trained in God's word every day. Sometimes we just have to get creative. But I also want to ask us, is there anything that God is asking you to do that maybe you don't feel trained to do? Because Peter and John could have said, and the other disciples, you know, we haven't been informal training. So I don't think we're qualified for this. Nope. That's, that's, that's not our answer. Because through the, Holy, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do everything that God asks us to do, whether no matter how hard or how humbling. So what's God asking you to do that you maybe feel intimidated to do? You can do that thing, but you can't do it on your own. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. Or maybe he's asking you to do something that you feel is below you. That maybe you are trained and educated. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time. And God's asking you to do something very, very simple. And you don't feel that that's what you need to be doing. He humbled himself. 
He came to earth, the humble king. So he sets an example of humbling for us. So the bottom line, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do everything that God asks of us, no matter how hard or how humbling. Okay, so as I mentioned before, that Acts 4 is the first time that we see persecution of the church. And it will be mentioned in every other chapter in Acts, like I said, except for three chapters. You'll see it all throughout Paul's writing. And I looked up the definition of persecution, and it's to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict, specifically to cause to suffer because of belief. So in our country, we don't see this on a wide-scale event. I mean, we, we see, I have friends who are missionaries overseas, and they see it daily. But we're starting to get small snippets of it. You guys feeling that a little bit? The oppressing, oppressing of the church. But remember, Paul says we are pressed, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're pressed down, but we are not destroyed. So if you're beginning to feel that press, remember that God has given you the strength through the Holy Spirit to withstand that. And as I mentioned earlier, the disciples were not surprised when they began to be persecuted because I just want to read to you some of the things that Jesus said in front of them about persecution. Matthew 5.11, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me, Jesus said. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus also said in verse 44 of Matthew 5, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we're called to pray for them. John 15, 18, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word I've spoken to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I wonder if that was ringing in the back of Peter and John's head as they were seized and arrested and spent the night in custody. I wonder if they, they could picture Jesus wherever he was when he said this. I think it was Sermon on the Mount. And he could picture him on the hill saying this to the people. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Romans 12 said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And I love this that Paul, keep in mind Paul. What do we know about Paul before Jesus? Who was he? A persecutor of the church. He was the one doing the persecuting. Remember, he was on his way to arrest Christians whenever Jesus stopped him in his tracks. Blinded him and said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Paul thought he was doing what was best for God's kingdom. And Jesus said, no, let me introduce you to another way. I am bringing about the kingdom, and, I'm, and he's, I'm going to use you, Paul, but you're going to go through some humbling first. So the persecutor of the church was now being persecuted, and this what he, was what he said. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're per we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. 
And then he wrote again in 2 Timothy 3.12, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're going to continue to study Acts. Right now we're in Acts 4, and just so you know, Paul is not on the scene here. He is still, at this point, persecuting or beginning to persecute Christians. But in Acts 8, which we're going to get to in a few weeks, the martyr, Stephen is being martyred for his faith, the first martyr, the first man killed for his faith. And the people who are throwing the stones are hanging their coats on Saul, Paul. And Paul said, I'll hold your stuff. Yeah, I'll hold your stuff while you do the thing. Give me your coat. And you, you go on at it. But what does it say in Acts 1? I mean, Acts 8 1. Saul agreed with them, with putting him, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, to death. But on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. It's kind of like a, 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 a match that just was dropped, and then the fire was spread. And all the apostles were scattered. All except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So this was something that at first seemed awful. And it was awful because someone was dying and someone was killed because of their belief. They were persecuted. But what did persecution do? It spread the gospel. And so everyone but the disciples, they went out into Judea and Samaria. And they said, we're going to leave Jerusalem, but we're going to carry on somewhere else. We're going to take the church to these other places. So the vehicle that was used to spread the gospel was persecution. And that still happens today. Whenever you're persecuted for your belief, and you will at some point, it may be small compared to what some Christians go, to, go through in other countries, but you will be persecuted for what you believe. And if you stand strong in the boldness through the Holy Spirit, God will do something amazing through that situation. And the gospel will spread. And you will be a witness, his witness through that. Okay, so let's read um, Acts 19 through uh, Acts 4, 19 through 22. Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you, rather than to God, you decide. For we, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They couldn't find a law, a reason to keep them in custody, and so they let them go. But they said, don't speak about this name anymore. Don't mention Jesus anymore, but you can go. And they said, you, you think about it. You think about whether it's right for us to obey you rather than God. But as for us, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Have you ever seen a really good movie or eaten at a really good restaurant or read a really good book? And you're like, I've just got to tell somebody about this. Like, you can't keep it in. You've got to spread it. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what I've read or what I've experienced or what I've eaten. On a grander scale, this is what was happening with them. Such an amazing thing happened to them, in front of them, and to others that they couldn't keep it inside. Have you ever felt like that before? I just can't keep it inside. 
And I think that feeling of overflow, Psalm 23 talks about that, my cup overfloweth. That feeling of overflow comes when we remember all that he's done. And we keep a list of his goodness in front of our eyes. And we start to see the world through Him, his eyes. And we, through the Holy Spirit, we're able to process our life in the way that God wants us to. And we're overflowed with gratitude. And we're overflowing with hope. And we're overflowing with the miracles that we've seen him do in, our, in us and in other people and in our hard hearts. The way that he's turned our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And we say, I can't keep it in anymore. I've got to tell someone. I've got to spread the news. That's where I want to be. So overflowing that it just, it just comes out. It just, bleh, it just comes out in a good way. It overflows. So the story of these Jesus followers is our story too. We've been given the Holy Spirit for God's glory and for our good to spread the gospel, to help those in need, to encourage each other, and to grow in holiness. We make choices daily whether or not to do what God has asked us. And it may not be standing in front of political leaders confessing your faith. It could be making small decisions, having integrity at work when no one else does. Or telling someone at work or at school or down the street about what Jesus has done for you. Or taking a meal to someone who's going through a really hard time. You know that would show the love of Christ. Just whatever it is, being bold in your faith. You can do that thing that God is asking you to do. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do whatever God has asked of us. No matter how hard or how humbling. That same Holy Spirit that ignited Peter and John and all of the Christ followers that went from, from 12 to 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 and now to millions and millions all over the world, that same power is in you today. Good news. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.